We are going to Romans 16 today, and here it is. 16 weeks, 16 sermons. We're going to make it, I think, if we get through the chapter today. Romans chapter number 16 is a final chapter of our big view of what God has done. This, uh, this chapter is significant. As I read it to you, Understand that I could butcher these names just as well as anyone. Uh, there are quite a number of names that I have to hesitate just a little bit to make sure I get all the pieces. And even then, I'm probably going to mess up many of them. But uh, uh, these folks probably don't mind too much um, as we go through it. But this is what I want you to notice. With every name, there's a description of who they are or what they have done. And that's worth noting as we go through here. They're just not names. They're, they're co-workers of Paul, people in ministry. And uh, he acknowledges them throughout this. There are sections in the middle of the chapter where he goes into uh, uh, statements. He wants them to do this. He wants them to do that and such like that. We're going to see that. This chapter is full of all kinds of things as we go through it. So follow along as I read Romans chapter 16 here. I commend you to our sister, Phoebe, who is a servant of the church, which is a centuria, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you, for she herself has also been a helper of many, of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who for my life risked their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Also greet the church that is in their house. Greet Apeinatus, my beloved, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junius, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners who are outstanding among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Greet Amphilatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, my fellow worker in Christ. And Stachus, my beloved. Greet Apelles, the approved in Christ. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my kinsman. Greet those of the household of Narcissus, Narcissus, who are of who are in the Lord, greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, workers in the Lord. Greet Persis, the beloved, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, a choice man in the Lord, also his mother and mine. Greet Asyncritus, Philegion, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brethren with them. Greet Philologus and Julia, Nereus and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Now I urge you, brethren, keep an eye on those who cause dissension and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned, and turn away from them. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites, and by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. 
for the report of your obedience has reached to all. Therefore I am rejoicing over you, but I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you, and so does Lucius and Jason and Sospater, my kinsmen. I, Tertullius, who write this letter, greet you in the Lord. I was Paul's secretary. Gaius, host to me and to you and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, greets you. And Cordus, my bro- or the brother, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel, the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past, but now is manifested, and by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandments of the eternal God has been made to all, known to all the nations, leading to obedience of faith. To the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, be glory forever. Amen. Heavenly Father, this uh, chapter that we are about to spend a little time in this morning is not just an add-on at the end of a book. But there are significant things here that we need to see. And I pray that uh, our hearts are receptive today to what you show to us. Show us clearly what you would have us to do and challenge us thoroughly, we pray. For we long to be more like Christ. And your word is that which shapes us, and your Holy Spirit is that which conforms us. And we have come here as just your humble children, willing and and wanting to be uh, made more like our Savior. Help us with this passage today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The verse I I, uh, have decided to focus around today is verse 19. For the report of your obedience has reached to all. The report. All these names are a report. The response to the gospel, the work that's given in the Lord's name, they're all reports that stand before us today. The Roman church that Paul is writing to, they have a report as well. Now, most people don't like the word report, especially if the word card comes after it. That's, that's, uh, uh, some people think that maybe that's the uh, torture technique of a teacher. Uh, sort of a teacher's revenge thing. Uh, the report card. Sometimes they call them progress cards. Does that sound better? Progress cards. Because concept of progress is that you're advancing somewhere, right? You're getting better. You're, you're uh, developing. You're growing. Uh, that kind of thing. And when we think of it spiritually, are we not supposed to be progressing in our faith, in our knowledge of Christ? We're told in, in so many passages, just a handful. Uh, Peter would write this at the last verse of his, third, or his second epistle. In chapter 3, verse 18, he says, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We are to be doing that, right? Growing. Paul would write that to the Ephesians. In chapter 4, verse 15, he says, We are to be speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in all aspects unto Him who is our head, Jesus Christ. 
No, he says again in the same book, Ephesians 4, verse 16. And the whole body, he says, is, is being fitted and is held together uh, by every part which the joint supplies. And according to the proper working of each individual part, it causes growth. So each of us have a part in each other's growth. We're all part of this. As we're, we're all growing together in the body that builds itself up in love, and it, when it is through, it will reflect Christ. We're all part of that. First Peter chapter 2, verse 2, he says, Like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word, word, word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Some people sometimes uh, bemoan the fact they don't feel like they're growing spiritually. They say, well, I, I, just, I just feel so dull. I feel so, so, so stunted. I don't know why I'm not growing. Long for the pure milk of the Word. The Word of God is our nutrient to build us up in the growth that we long to have. I could say this, and you know it too. There's no doubt that we're called to grow. Even naturally speaking, a child that doesn't grow starts to alarm us after a little while, doesn't it? We say, well, something must be wrong here. And if the church is not growing spiritually, something's wrong. We know that we're called to do that. It's expected of us. We're, we're to progress in our faith. We are to advance in truth. We are to develop in character. We're to, to go forward in devotion. We are to be growing. Today, you ought to be more like Christ than you were yesterday. That's growth. That's progress. What, what one word might sum up all of this that I've said this morning? What, what one thing, if neglected, if omitted from all that we do, makes progress impossible? The word obedience. Obedience. Obedience is the application of the truth. It's the appropriate action that we're called to when we've been instructed. You see, truth can be taught. Truth can be taught hour after hour, week after week, month after month, year after year. You can go through chapter 1 of Romans, 2 of Romans, 3 of Romans, 4 of Romans, all the way up to chapter 16. But without application, there's no progress. This verse, verse number 19, as Paul writes to the Roman believers, this is what he says of them. For the report of your obedience has reached to all. I like this word obedience. It's one that parents like too. It's a combination of the word hupo, which is under, and akuo, which is to hear. To hear under. That's a sense of submissiveness to what you have just heard. That's, that's what we call obedience. That means they not only heard you, but they heard you. And they've done it. I don't know. Growing up, I probably was a, a, a real challenge for my mom and dad. For how many times they would tell me to do something, I'd say, Okay! And then I'd just sit there, and then they'd tell me the second time, and I'd say, okay. And then it goes on and on. You ever been there before? You know what that looks like? I found out as a parent, that's not so nice. As a kid, I thought that was just buying a little time. 
But I found out otherwise over the years that that's not listening. Just to hear the words is not listening. Responding with obedience shows you're listening. All right, every kid in the room just heard that, right? So is your parents. When we respond, that shows we listened. That's what that word is all about. It's an interesting word. It, it's to listen attentively, uh, as if we're listening to a command, to authority, and we want to conform to that. We want to be obedient. That's the word. Notice that is the characteristic Paul applies to the Roman church. They were obedient, he says. The, the, that was the report to everybody. All were hearing that they were obedient people. It came back to Paul, and Paul hears that they're obedient people. The Roman church was full of obedient people. What does that look like? It's kind of a neat picture, isn't it? Let me, let me ask you this, and just in your thinking here. Obedient to what? Well, if you, if you think back, if we were talking to a church today, we would say, well, they're obviously obedient to the gospel. They're obedient to that. Do you realize that the time the book of Romans was written, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and even the book of Acts had not been written yet? They had not been written yet. And these folks are already obedient people. Matter of fact, if you take your New Testament, there's 27 books there. There is a possibility they might have seen the book of James. They might have seen the book of Galatians. Maybe First or Second Thessalonians has come their way. Or even the letters to the Corinthians. But even that, if you pinch it in your fingers, you've got a small piece of what we call the New Testament. That was all that was available of the New Testament. So maybe that's what they were obedient to. Or maybe it was just the teaching of Paul they were obedient to. But think for a minute. Paul had never been in Rome. Paul was not the founder of this church. He's not the one that, that laid it out and explained it all to them about what they do. This report isn't about Paul's teaching that they were obedient to. Matter of fact, a lot of Paul's ministry, if you look on it and read the epistles, was based on reports. The Thessalonian church, he was only there three weeks, best we could tell. And then he goes on down toward Corinth and he gets reports of what's going on in Thessalonica and he's sending letters back over there. When then Paul eventually made his way over to Ephesus, he gets reports about the Corinthian church. And they were coming over to him and he's writing back in response to that. There are so many instances in scripture passages which uh, we can say, wow, Paul did an awful lot of work through the mail. Imagine if he had text messaging. I think he would have loved things like that, to be able to keep close track of churches and their development. Uh, this is how Paul heard things. Could we imagine just for a minute, if church conduct could be heard 
by neighboring towns, communities, what kind of message would they be getting from ours? What would be the report that is being sent out that people hear about the Hillsdale Bible Church? One of my first, uh, actually was my first ministry as a pastor, I've told you before, I was in Alabama. And uh, went into a church that was having a great deal of trouble. They were, uh, I was following a line of pastors that none of them went beyond two years. And uh, the kind of the joke that went about was, every two years they fired him whether he needed it or not. Um, I don't know, it's just they like variety or they like to repaint the sign out front. I'm not sure. Uh, but uh, they went through that over and over. And I thought, well, I don't know these, these folks in our neighborhood. We're right in the middle of actually one of the most affluent neighborhoods in Birmingham. And so I thought, well, maybe I'll just go and introduce myself. And so I went knocking on doors, and almost every door I came to, I'd introduce myself and say what church I was from, and they'd say, Oh, you're from that church that fires its pastors. Whoa. I go to school at the Bible college, and the professor there in the room starts to laugh at me. And I said, what's so funny? He said, oh, you're the pastor of the church down there. Yeah, we call that the pastor's graveyard. On several occasions, and I remember this one quite vividly, two ladies having a dispute in the church parking lot over some theological point. They're clear across the the parking lot from each other, waving Bibles and yelling, I've got one too! You know, and, and everyone saw that. The report that went out concerning that church was was devastating. Several years ago as well, I read of a church in Ohio where they had such uh, internal conflict that the folks started to bring weapons to church with them. That was recorded in the newspaper. Reports. Do they get out? Oh, yes. When there's trouble in a church and it becomes a legal issue, does that get out? Oh, my. We know that's true. It's not uncommon for reports to get out. And we have a part in the report, don't we? We have a part in the report. The church that we read of here in the book of Romans was founded and built upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is quite possible that the earliest members of this Roman church were the ones that were present on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. 3,000 people were saved that day. And among them, according to Luke's record there in Acts chapter 2, verse 10, it said there were visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. Later we read of, as you saw the name in verse 3, Prisca, or Priscilla we might say, and Aquila. They were from Rome. And you could see that they were quite active in Rome. Matter of fact, they even risked their lives on behalf of the church folks and for Paul, and they had the church that was meeting in their house. 
they had become fellow workers with Paul, and maybe they brought him the report of how things were in Rome. But whatever it is, the fact of this fellowship, with very limited resources in the truth, perhaps only ten pages of that Bible you're holding right now, they were known as obedience. See, obedience is not based on how much you have, but what you do with what you have. And that's the nature of these folks. They were obedient people. What what does that look like? Well, we read these names and the characteristics that went with them. This Phoebe, or Phoebe maybe, in verse 1 and 2, she's a servant in the church at uh, he says, receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints. She herself has been a helper of many. That's a picture of obedience to the Lord. Prisca, or Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks. Obedience was more important to them than their own lives. A pain, a painitus, I think, verse number five. My beloved, the first convert of Christ in Asia. Mary, in verse number six. I, I'm not sure that that's the Mary that we always think of when we hear Mary. Matter of fact, you might be thinking four or five different Marys by now. This might be number six. Whoever she is, she worked hard. She worked hard for you, Paul says. Verse number 7, Adronicus and Junius, my kinsmen. Notice the second phrase, my fellow prisoners in verse 7. At some point, Paul was in prison. They were there with him. Fellow prisoners. Outstanding among the apostles. Is that impressive to you? I read that and I say, wow, who were these guys? In verse number 8, and Pliatus, or Pliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Urbanus, in verse number 9, our fellow worker in Christ. Tatus is my beloved. Apelles, in verse number 10, the approved in Christ. How would you like any of these captions set next to your name? Approved in Christ. Beloved in Christ. Fellow workers in Christ. Verse 11, Herodian is my kinsman. Verse number 12, Tryphania and Tryphosis. Probably twins. I don't know, it sounds like it could be. Workers in the Lord. Persis, the beloved, who has worked hard. I think that's an interesting adverb to put on there. Hard in the Lord. Rufus, verse 13, a choice man. In the Lord. How, how do you sum up this group of believers? Visibly obedient, right? Visibly so. All of those things you could step and say, I see that, I see that, I see that. Visibly, that's a report that has gone out about these folks. Paul knew them, and he knew who they were, and he knew what they've done. It's a visible sign of obedience, and Paul says, 
I am rejoicing over you. I am rejoicing over you. Look at that in the middle of verse 19. I am rejoicing. Kind of like what John said in his epistle, Second John. He wrote this in verse 4. I have no greater joy than to hear my children walking in the truth. You know that, don't you? Touches the heart, doesn't it? So we have spent 16 weeks on the book of Romans, starting this day, 16. Is it time for a report card? Okay, you ready? It's application time. The whole book is coming at you at one piece. What is the appropriate response to the teaching of God's truth then? More than just hearing, right? Doing. It's obedience. We're called to that. I'm going to approach this right now on two different levels. Two different levels. Much of the book of Romans, the earlier part, deals with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's quite obvious. It's, it's known for that. What is the gospel? In verse or chapter number 1, it spoke of salvation is only accomplished by the power of God. He said in verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. In chapter 2, we learn that salvation cannot be bargained for. He says in verse in that 11, For there is no partiality with God. In chapter 3, we found that the depth of our sin makes it impossible for us to earn our salvation. Verse number 28, for we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. In chapter 4, we found that faith alone justifies. Only faith justifies the ungodly. He says in verse 5, but to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. We found in chapter 5 that salvation is a gift from God. Verse number 15, for the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one, the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. These are the things we have learned as we've gone through here. We have also seen in chapter 3, verse 23, familiar verses like this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have seen in chapter 6, verse 23, That the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We've seen in chapter 5, verse 8, For God demonstrates His own love toward us, even that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We saw in chapter 10, verse 9, all the way through verse 13, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart man, a person believes, resulting in righteousness. With the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. or There is the same Lord of all, abounding in riches to all who call upon him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. We've seen these things, haven't we? They're powerful statements. Do you realize that your response to the gospel is a matter of obedience? Say, huh? 
Well, put it this way. When Paul was in prison, in Acts chapter 16, in the Philippian prison, and there was an earthquake, and the doors were all burst open, and the guard thought that they had all escaped, and he drew his sword to kill himself. The voice yelled out, don't. We're still here. And that jailer came rushing into Paul's presence and said, Sir, what must I do to be saved? The very first words out of Paul's mouth. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Looked it up just to make sure I was accurate in this. That is an imperative. That is a command. He didn't say, why don't you go home and think about it tonight? It was an heiress command, which means right now, Start now, decisively, determinedly, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't give him ten seconds to even think it through. He says, respond in obedience. Because that's what you do with an imperative. You respond in obedience. It's a powerful statement, but it's true. It's true. Let me show you something else. Because to believe is an act of obedience. You, you cannot be saved without believing. It just doesn't accidentally happen. Here's a couple of verses for you. First Peter, chapter 2. I'll turn over to these passages so I make sure I read them correctly. First Peter, chapter number 2. Way back here. Verse number 7 and 8. Listen to these words. This, is, this precious value, then, is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve... The stone which the builders rejected has become the very cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, for they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were also appointed. There are three key words in what I just said. They unite together. Disbelieve, reject, disobey. Those three things are treated synonymously. They did not respond to Jesus Christ. They did not believe, they rejected, they disobeyed. Those are the words he used. And then later in chapter 3, when he's writing and he's describing a, a husband who is an unbeliever, notice the words he uses for them in chapter 3, verse 1. In the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word. You see that phrase? That's his description of an unbeliever. Disobedient to the Word. Disobedient to the Word. Our world today does not have an excuse for disobedience to God's Word. God's Word is out there. It's been proclaimed. It's available. It's, it, not one person will stand before Him and says, Well, I've never heard of your Word. His Word has gone forth. The world is held in that balance of obedience or disobedience to God's truth. This is what Paul has called for, obedience. It's a response to the gospel, it's obedience. It's the only way you can be saved, is through obedience to this gospel. Believe what you have heard. This is what God has said. The only way to be saved is by faith in the Son of God. He is the way, He is the truth, He is the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him. That's obedience to do it God's way. To follow what he has said. 
So if you believe that, and you call out to him who is alone able to save you, you have obeyed the gospel. You've obeyed what has been told. If you have not believed that, if you have not called out to him who alone can save you, you have disobeyed the gospel. Because you just heard the gospel this morning too. John 3.36 says, He who believes in the Son has eternal life. And he who does not obey the Son shall not see life. For the wrath of God abides on him. At the top of the report card, next to your name, does it say saved or unsaved? That means obedient or disobedient to your response of the gospel. That's level one. Because that's where it starts with all of us, doesn't it? You've heard the gospel. Have you responded to it? Do you believe it? Have you obeyed that call? To call upon the name of the Lord so that you might be saved. Every one of us, that's a a thing between you and your Lord right now. And I trust that next to your name it says saved. I've obeyed that call. Second level. Second level. To the believers. What else have we learned in this book? Chapter 6. We are united with Christ. We should not continue to sin. Report card time, obedient or disobedient? Chapter 7. We have the newness of the Spirit. We don't have to continue to sin. Report card time, obedient or disobedient? Chapter number 8. We can live godly lives because God dwells in us. Report card time. Obedient or disobedient? Chapter 9, 10, and 11. God is the initiator of our salvation. We are responders to that salvation message so that God gets the glory. Obedient or disobedient? Romans chapter 12. Our personal devotion to God. We are to present our bodies as living, holy, acceptable sacrifices. Obedient or disobedient? Chapter 13, our public devotion to God. We're putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. Obedient or disobedient? Chapter 14, our relationship with others who are devoted with Christ. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, if we live or die, we are the Lord's. Are we obedient or disobedient? Chapter 15, accepting others as Christ has accepted us. Therefore, accept one another just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. Obedient? Or disobedient. Now, I'm not sharing these things this morning so we can all go home all bruised and welted up. Though it probably feels that way. But don't we want something to rejoice over? Guess what Paul was rejoicing over? The progress report that they were obedient, right? That's what we're looking for. The application of the truth. That we do it. 
the appropriate actions to instruction. The time that we commit ourselves to the things that we've learned from this book. The reports that would spread out from here to the community to be known and read by all that this is an obedient group of people. We read the word and say, that's what we do. That's what we do. In case you're wondering how, that sounds overwhelming. And it does, doesn't it? That's why I like the benediction of this book. The last couple of verses, 25, 26, 27. Listen again to those words. Now to him who is able to establish you. You have been trying to do it yourself, perhaps. Guess who is the establisher? He is. Guess how that happens? We're obedient to him, and we let him do the work in our hearts. He establishes. He is able. Do you know that? He knows how stubborn we are. He's able. He knows how disobedient we get. He is able. He knows our society. He knows our circumstances. He knows how tough it is. He knows all that. He is able. Let that be the first three words of your theology. He is able. He is able to establish you according to the gospel, according to the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that has been kept secret from long ago, ages, but now is manifested. And you have it. You've seen it. This isn't some secret thing now. It's wide open. It's set before your heart and mind right now. The scriptures of the prophets, the commandments of the eternal God, it's been made known, he says in verse 26, to all nations. And what does it lead to? What's the last few, few, few words of verse 26? What does it lead to? Obedience. Obedience of faith. That's where we stand right now. That is our response to what we have heard. Either we are or we're not. Either we're obedient or we're not. What kind of progress report are we setting out? You may say, well, I don't know. If, if you examine my night, life right now, you would probably see some pretty poor scores right there. You know what I like about progress? It gets better from here. It gets better from here. Because our God is at work. That's the first place we submit ourselves today. Submit ourselves to a God who is able, who can take all these things which are far beyond us and establish us in the truth. May that be the report that people hear of us. We're obedient people. And let's commit ourselves to the God who can make that possible. Heavenly Father, we come before you here this morning as a body that belongs to you. We rejoice in our fellowship. We rejoice in this great thing you have done in our midst to put together this group of believers to fellowship together, to worship together, to love together, to walk together, to work together. You've given us a special thing here, and we rejoice in that. Lord, there are so many here who could probably 
be put in this chapter as well. Those who have worked hard in the faith, those who have loved, those who have served, those who have even put out their necks in danger on behalf of others. No doubt that's true here in this fellowship. We've seen it. And we rejoice in that too. But Lord, we don't want to just stop where we are today. We want to make it known that we are obedient people to the truth. We want that to be our calling card. We want that to be the slogan. We want that to be the thing that people say first when they mention our fellowship. Obedient people to the Lord. When we read your word, we want to say yes and respond and do it to your honor and glory. We want to be known as those kind of folks. So do your work in our midst, Lord, and and show us the challenge that sets before us even now to come to the God who is able to establish us that way. Lord, earlier, not much earlier, we simply saw the gospel of Jesus Christ. There might be somebody among us today who desperately needs to know Jesus Christ as Savior. The longest time they've put that off, they've treated it as insignificant and nothing to do with their life at all. But today they've heard the gospel and it's only about Jesus Christ. He alone can save and we're told to believe. And if they will do that today, Lord, that's a miracle from your hand. And I pray that you'll change your heart. There's one among us that needs that, Lord, do your work. For your honor and for your glory, draw them to yourselves and may they see and may they believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We long to see fruit among us, Lord. We want to see progress in our Christian development and in our Christian testimony. We want it all to set before your throne and speak of your glory. We want another cause to praise you. Be pleased to work in our midst and work in our lives. And indeed, make us different people because we've spent this time with you. In Jesus' name, amen.